at the Colts Complex. Minicamp ended about an hour and 10 minutes ago, and the Colts, I got to tell you, there's some things to feel really good about where it comes to the Colts, and there's some things to be a little bit concerned about, but not that many things to be concerned about. So I'm happy with the Colts. I'm happy watching Matt Ryan in a Colts uniform for the first time operate that offense and look like a guy, number one, he is in charge, and number two, he is otherworldly accurate, really, really accurate in delivering the football. I like Nick Foles as a backup quarterback because as you watch Foles, Cone, and Ellinger, and that's the way I've got them ordered, I really like the way that Foles throws the football not quite as accurately as Matt Ryan and not quite as quickly as Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is very decisive, much in the same way as Phillip Rivers was very decisive. Nick Foles, not quite, but Nick Foles is a significant upgrade over either Cone or Ellinger, and that's not to, to disparage those guys. Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl, for God's sake, so you would assume that Nick Foles is going to be a little bit better than either Sam Ellinger or Jack Cohn, the rookie out of Notre Dame. Uh, some points of interest as we uh, move through this three-day mandatory mini-camp. One is that Darius Leonard was not here for any of it, and we heard on Tuesday from Frank Reich that Darius underwent a back procedure. He wouldn't say surgery. He was asked to say surgery. He wouldn't do it. He said a, a procedure that was unrelated. He said this today, unrelated from the ankle. What we had heard is that the ankle might have been related to the back. As we know, everything in your body is interrelated. And so if you hurt your, your back, it could cause ankle issues. Or if you hurt your ankle, maybe you favor something and all of a sudden you got a back problem. This, according to Frank Reich, was not related, although getting the back surgery procedure, excuse me, might be a, uh, a little bit uh, of a, a help toward getting that ankle to heal. Darius has had trouble getting the ankle to respond. Uh, Kenny Moore, his contract is not something that pleases him. He's scheduled to make $6.75 million this coming year. He is a slot corner, and as a slot corner, he's actually pretty well paid, but he believes he ought to be paid as a cornerback. Cornerbacks at a high level make much more than $6.75 million, and Kenny would like to be paid that way. And his argument makes a little bit of sense, although he didn't make this argument yesterday when he spoke to the media. I'm going to make it for him. And that argument is this, that Kenny Moore is on the field for 97% of the plays, defensive snaps, at least he was last year. You are needed as a slot corner about two-thirds of the snaps. So Kenny Moore is doing other stuff. He's not just a slot corner. He's not just the guy who's coming in on nickel and, and serving as that nickel cornerback. He does other stuff. He even lines up as, at defensive end, for goodness sake, once in a while and comes as a blitzer, and he's an effective blitzer. Four interceptions for Kenny Moore each of the last two seasons. Last year, his four interceptions placed him tied for third in the NFL uh, among cornerbacks in interceptions. You want to join the conversation. You want to talk. You want to have your voice heard. Come on, activate yourself and uh, and absolutely do that. And so we will. Let's go to Paul. Paul, 
how you doing this afternoon? Good, Ken. How are you, sir? I could not be better. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for the great coverage out there at Minicamp. Um, oh, my pleasure. It, it, it's it's uh, nice to see uh, and hear the players and their perspectives. And um, as far as the Kenny Moore situation, it's it's tricky. And, and for me, this is a situation where um, – a rebalancing of the roster in needed spots could present itself in the way of a trade. And I know that's that probably makes people's hair stand up right now because we're not in any kind of a super contentious uh, point in the matter. But his contract is at issue. And you have a couple of prime receivers around the league. And I posted on the YouTube thing about – perhaps DK Metcalf, and that would take Kenny and probably an extra pick. Um, you know, it, it, it would be pricey. But, I mean, that would completely flip the receiver room from a what do we got to, okay, we're set. And and it would, you know, I, I don't know enough about Gus Bradley's X's and O's to know how less of an impact Kenny Moore is going to have down in and down out, but it apparently it it will be different. And to me, you know, in addition to the fact that he's jumping the whole contract business of, of, up a year, which you you've made the point many times that would drag JT and Michael Pittman into the same situation. Uh, right? You know, is there a way out of this that? We come out smelling like a rose. Now we've done that pretty good this offseason. Can we? You, do, will we have to do it one more time? So it's a question that has to be asked. Everything's up in the air right now. But if we could corral a, a, a top line wide out, I, I would. I wouldn't oppose that at all. All right. Let me answer one of your questions and counter one of your points, Paul. Uh, the, the thing I'll counter is this, that the same problem for the Colts would exist for any team that acquired Kenny Moore. They don't, he doesn't want to be paid $6.75 million. He wants to be paid as a straight cornerback would be at the top of Pro Bowl cornerback, if that makes sense. So other teams, what you would be trading to, you would be trading the Colts' problem, which is Kenny Moore and his contract to them and that reduces the value of Kenny Moore and in terms of his value to this defense as Gus Bradley designs it I talked to a longtime defensive coordinator in the NFL yesterday and said okay tell me about uh, Gus Bradley and what Kenny Moore would be doing and he said Kenny Moore is going to do exactly the same thing in the Gus Bradley defense as he did in the Matt Eberflus defense because the days are gone when teams deployed just two wide receivers. So that's over. You, you don't have that anymore. It, it's, you're not going to line up with two corners and two safeties, three linebackers, four down linemen, and go play football. You've got to have a third guy on the field to defend that third uh, wide receiver. And if you don't, you got problems. 
So Kenny Moore is going to be utilized in virtually the same way. And here's the thing to know about Gus Bradley, too. And this this is a complete point of differentiation between Eberflus and Bradley, uh, according to the person I spoke to. Eberflus is very hard and fast and strict in the way he believes football ought to be played on the defensive side of the ball. Gus Bradley can be reasoned with. Gus Bradley has his own, sure, he's got the, you know, the three deep that everybody knows Gus Bradley for, and, and he had the, the Legion of Boom and all of that, which was a, a kind of a three deep scheme that they played really, really well. With the Colts and John Fox being a senior defensive assistant, you're, you're going to have more of a, uh, not leadership by committee, but you're going to have a guy who is more a two-high safety guy than a one-high safety, which is what Gus Bradley is, they're going to be able to have a conversation and, and be able to scheme around their talent. If Kenny Moore is a part of the defense, Kenny Moore is one of the better defensive players on this defense, and he's going to be in a position to make plays as he has been uh, the last four years as one of the best slot corners in the NFL. You want to jump on board? Absolutely jump on board. As you know, we love taking calls and, and hearing from you. Thanks for, thanks to Paul for sharing his uh, feelings uh, about Kenny Moore. And it is. It is kind of a strange situation with, with Kenny because this doesn't happen with the Colts very often. This is not what the Colts do. The Colts, they enjoy having harmony in the locker room. They, they don't bring people into the locker room who they believe are going to be voices of contention or disharmony. They don't like distractions. They like focused football players playing football. Kenny Moore, not quite as focused as the Colts would like. This is a distraction. It's not just a distraction for Kenny Moore. It is also a distraction for uh, that defense and for Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds, to be quite honest. Uh, let's talk to Andrew. Andrew, how you doing? Make sure and unmute yourself. Sometimes when you unmute yourself, you accidentally uh, disconnect yourself. So uh, I'll keep watching for Andrew. And Andrew, if you want to call back, we'd love to have you. Um, the Gus Bradley system here, let me uh, outline. Let's see. Um, there is Andrew. All right. Andrew, how are you this afternoon? A beautiful afternoon in central Indiana. I hope you're enjoying it. Oh, I'm doing great, Kent. Uh, I just had a kind of a follow-up question to the one that just came before me. And uh, also a comment to what you just said about uh, problems. I know that Chris Ballard doesn't like problems uh you don't think that this might sour him on kenny moore a little bit and he might be willing to take lesser value maybe just a draft pick or something for kenny moore and also do you see uh the back problem for darius leonard maybe lingering and becoming a problem long term especially with his large contract well, good questions, Andrew. Um, let me address the second one first, and then I'll talk about Kenny Moore again. But Darius, I, I'm not an orthopedic guy, and I'm not a back specialist, so I we don't even really know what happened. We heard it's kind of a nerve deal, but we don't really know. Frank Reich has kind of obfuscated when pressed for details about Darius Leonard, 
And what he has said is that he is going to miss the beginning of camp, which means he could be here for the end. And he should be available for the opener. Hopefully that gets done. The problem has been that that ankle hasn't been able to heal. So I, I view the ankle as a bigger problem than the back. But we're, we're kind of operating in a vacuum of information, as this has been described by Frank Reich and the Colts. As we talk about Kenny Moore, um, I, I think really it depends on what Kenny Moore does next. If Kenny Moore is eager to show up to camp and is full go as camp begins, I think that Chris Ballard is much more likely to view him positively, his agent positively, and, and uh, allow him to remain a cold and maybe even talk about a negotiation. But uh, look, this is not something that Chris Ballard's ever done. You know, and guys never hold out on, on Chris Ballard. We haven't had that happen yet. And I really can't remember anybody doing it with Grigson either. And going back to Pullian, I don't remember a lot of guys doing that. So this is sort of, it's not uncharted territory for the Colts, but it's different. And I think really whether Kenny remains a Colt is going to depend upon what he does next. Now, if he sits, again, you you hope that the the team that you're willing to partner with on a trade sees Kenny as more valuable than a distraction. And if Chris Ballard sees him more valuable as a distract than as a distraction, then I think the Colts keep him. I mean, this is really a dynamic football player who turns the ball over who is responsible for tackles for loss. And, and things kind of go well with Kenny Moore on the field. He generally doesn't make mistakes, although the last two games of the season against the Raiders and then at Jacksonville, those were not Kenny's most glorious moments. And, and you can bet that Chris Ballard took notice of that. You can bet that uh, Kenny Moore did too and understands that maybe his value is never going to be higher as it, as it is today. And, and that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the thing. So uh, let's go to our next caller. Who is Bruce? How you doing, Bruce? Hello. Sorry about that. That's on me. Yeah. Oh, you've unmuted. How you doing, Bruce? Yeah, it takes me a second. I got to hit the mute button twice. I'm doing pretty good, man. Just at work, not really working. Well, you know what? It's a Thursday, and as we learn in college. Thursday is not a work day. Thursday is a day to get your head together to attack the weekend. Hey, uh, I just want to uh, say something I just thought of. Last week, yeah. I called you, and right now I'm talking on my earbuds, and I was using my earbuds last week, and the people said they couldn't hear me, and I'm wondering if people can still not hear me. And if it's an earbud, an app thing, where they maybe don't work so good for earbuds? I don't know. I, I can hear you, but you're not as loud as the previous two callers. But go ahead and make your point. Okay, anyways, yeah. Um, my question was, uh, is there a reason why Kenny can't play outside corner and he's stuck just to the slot? Is he not fast enough? Well, no, but he's about 5'8". So if you got 5'8 lining up on 6'4", you got a problem. You know, slot, yeah. slot receivers tend to be uh, a little less rangy. And, and if you got a guy with a great catch radius who's 6'4", going up against Kenny Moore, who's 5'8", without a great catch radius, uh, without great length, you know, you've got a problem. And that's what kind of restricts Kenny Moore to that slot corner position, although it doesn't, it doesn't completely constrain him from playing other spots on an as-needed basis. Like I said, 
you need to slot corner about two-thirds of the defensive snaps. And Kenny played 97% of the defensive snaps last year. So it's not that um, it's not that they're unwilling to play him at another spot. They're just unwilling to do that regularly and put themselves in a position where they're a little bit easier to scheme against. Does that make sense, Bruce? It does. And another thing that I'm wondering, because Kenny is, is good. He's one of the best tacklers. Even those last two games you mentioned where, you know, there was a couple plays on him, he was the best tackler since the Raiders. Oh, I don't know so much about that. I can't remember Jacksonville game, but that Raiders game, he was really driving through people and pushing through people for the tackle. I thought he was one of the better tacklers on the field. Um, I wonder, will Gus kind of alter his uh, strategy and run a little bit more nickel just because he's such a talented player that needs to be on the field? Well, I think it depends on what he's going up against. So if, if the offense brings in you know, the three wideouts, Kenny's going to be on the field. If if he doesn't, if he goes two or if he goes kind of jumbo or something like that, maybe you take Kenny off or maybe you deploy him elsewhere a little bit. He's not uncomfortable kind of in a safety spot. You know, there are ways to utilize him in a dime. There are ways to use, obviously, in a nickel, and there are ways to use him straight up. But what you don't want to do is on an every-down basis give a team – a six foot four inch target with great length as a target for an opposing quarterback against Kenny Moore, because over time that's going to be exploited. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. That's Bruce. If, uh, if you want to come on, come on, you know, if you, if you want to call, let's go and, and talk about your Indianapolis Colts. Um, let's go to Matt. How you doing, Matt? Make sure and unmute yourself. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm sorry about that. I had to figure out the mute. Um, no worries. My, in my opinion, Ken, Kenny Moore is trying to take advantage of those good good couple years he had, and 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 he I imagine he feels under Gus Bradley, it won't he won't be able to perform as well. That could be an issue, but uh, like I said a little bit earlier, I talked to a longtime defensive coordinator out here yesterday, and and he said Kenny's going to be utilized in exactly the same way. Um, What Kenny might want to think about doing is he sort of, and I got it, he was an undrafted free agent, uh, signed by the Patriots, then waived, the Colts kind of picked him up, and he became an important guy here. And then in 2019, he gets the extension that he is currently unhappy with. But in 2019, he was really, really happy with it. And if he signs an extension now, let's say a four-year extension, and it's worth, let's say, $60 million. And then in two years, he continues to ball out. But guys at that point are signing four-year extensions for $80 million. Is Kenny Gumby happy about it? You know what I mean? Like, we've all worked with guys and women who you can't pay enough, right? They just are never satisfied. You you give them a raise and you say, hey, I'm glad that we, uh, thanks for coming in for this meeting. And I'm going to give, you're going to get an additional $5 an hour. And they look at wow. you sideways and they're, they're like, well, geez, only five. 
And, and, you know, as a boss, you're kind of excited, right? Because you like giving people raises and it makes you feel good. And it's kind of a fun day when you can give somebody a raise. And then all of a sudden you got a guy who's like, no, nah, you know what? 6.75 million for this coming year drafted free. I, I definitely agree in what you're saying in that. And, and that the Indianapolis market isn't the greatest market to be uh, uh, paying every player every time you have a player that want, you have to you have to uh, decide. You know, is Kenny Moore? Are you like you said? You know, you got uh, Jonathan Taylor and you got um, Michael Pittman Jr. and they're going to also want that extra money too. But I don't think we're in the football market to be able to afford that type of money. No, and uh, the people here, like Indianapolis is a really interesting place, and I didn't realize this until I moved to St. Louis for a couple of years about a decade ago. I thought that St. Louis would be just like Indianapolis, only ahead baseball. It's completely different. From one city to the next in this country, the audience expectation and the fan expectation is just wired a little bit differently. In Indianapolis, we are really, really nice people. But we're a middle class town and and we work hard for a living. And so when somebody says, you know, at six point seven five million dollars isn't enough, I'm not real thrilled with that uh, as a fan. And you you kind of look at them a little bit differently than they might in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York or someplace else. And that's that's kind of just the way it is here. Thank you for the call. I, I appreciate it, Matt. Uh, well, I, I definitely, I definitely. Uh oh, I, uh, I punched out. Andrew, you're up. How are you this afternoon? I'm good. I just had another question for you. Uh, I want to know how Matt Ryan really looks to you. I know you mentioned him a little bit oh. in the past, but I want, I'm curious how he compares to some of the other quarterbacks you've seen. I know you haven't watched him in previous years with the detail you are this year, but how does he look compared to some of the other quarterbacks? Uh, and do you think he looks like he's aging or do you think he's going to really be pretty good? I'm glad you asked that question. I appreciate it, Andrew, because it's fun to talk about. We we can talk about contracts and stuff all day, but talking a little football is a lot of fun. And the deal with Matt Ryan is that he throws the football exceptionally well. He is extremely accurate. I mean, precise in his accuracy. And he still has velocity. He's got good zip. I didn't see any difference in zip between Matt Ryan and, and Nick Foles. And uh, I do see a difference. Like two years ago, we were out here for camp when Philip Rivers was here. And Philip, like, you know, I'll, I'll make it a baseball analogy. You know, Philip was more like Phil Necro or, or like maybe Greg Maddox toward the end of his career. He's getting it up there about 85. Right. And here you, you've got a guy in Matt Ryan who's not Nolan Ryan. You know, he's not Araldis Chapman, but he's still getting it up there with some boogie and and he can still throw it hard. But he throws it in a very, very specific window, it, it kind of in the way he has the control. He has Maddox like control, but he's throwing about 94 mile an hour fastball, whereas uh, Philip Rivers had Greg Maddox control, but was getting it up there about 85, if that makes sense. And I'm talking in terms of baseball mile an hour. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Honestly, 
you talking about him has me much more excited than I was when I heard about him. I thought it sounded kind of boring at first. I was honestly more in the Baker Mayfield camp just out of his for his age. But you have me much more excited about him than I was at the initial trade. He is not going to lose games. He is not going to lose you games. He won't be the reason that the Colts lose. And I think that that was the thing that they were looking for. And when you talk to people around the NFL, being able to deal Carson Wentz, his entire contract, get back two third rounders, and you trade one third rounder and go get Matt Ryan, that is a preposterous uh, level of difference in return for two guys who are at different ends of the spectrum. And Matt Ryan, you know what? And and this is the kind of thing, you, and nobody's going to go on the record saying this stuff, but I feel like I can here um, and, and not say any names. But when you talk to players out here about Carson Wentz, there might be a half dozen in that locker room who have anything really good privately to say about Carson Wentz. Publicly, they're like, you know, he's good teammate and blah, 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 blah. Privately, that's. One public comment that we saw came from Eagles. He was asked whether he would have been uh, interested in playing for Washington, given that Carson Wentz was there. And he gave an emphatic no. You know, and with Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan is large and in charge, quizzing guys in the halls about different route trees, different adjustments that they're going to make against defenses that they that they see. When something happened, and this happened Tuesday, I saw it twice. Alec Pierce, the second-round draft pick out of Cincinnati, did something, and I don't know what, did something that Matt Ryan didn't really care for. So after that rep, Matt Ryan came over, put his arm around Alec Pierce, and explained and explained and explained exactly what he wanted and how Alec Pierce needed not to comport himself, but how he needed to either finish a route or do something, round off a route maybe, come back to the ball, whatever it was. Matt Ryan wanted him to know right then and there what he had done to disappoint him, and he's not shy about communicating that kind of thing. Can I ask you one last follow-up question? Um, Yeah. What what would you say, just a complete guess on uh, it, but would you say that their record would have been much better last year had he been the quarterback? Wow, that's a really interesting question because remember, like the Colts were nine and six. I think, I think that Matt Ryan being here, here, here's where Wentz was behind the eight ball. Number one, Wentz is is kind of I don't know whether he's an isolationist, but he he knows who he is and he believes he's right. And and Carson Wentz may be a, a kind of a, a flavor you have to adapt to. And because Carson had that foot injury diagnosed a day and a half into uh, training camp and missed virtually, he did miss the rest of camp and really didn't get a chance to work with the offense. I don't think he got a chance to build a rapport with that offense and the chemistry that was lacking. Maybe that would have taken care of some of it. His decision not to vaccinate, I think, was a big deal among those who did vaccinate, maybe didn't believe in vaccination, but thought, you know what, I got to be ready to go. The NFL is really being penal uh, about the vaccine and about players who are unvaccinated. I don't want to let down my guys. 
so I'm going to go ahead and vaccinate. Carson Wentz did not do that, and as a result, toward the end of the season, it looked like he was going to miss a game, but the NFL stuck. Anyway, they changed their protocols. I think that Matt Ryan is stylistically an improvement over Carson Wentz. I think this offense is going to come together much more quickly under Matt Ryan. And so as a result, I don't see them starting one and four like they did with Carson Wentz. I see this offense rolling, the defense improving. I don't think there's any doubt this defense is going to be better just because of Gus Bradley, Ron Miles, uh, Coach Smith, Mike Mitchell, you know, Cato June. I think that this defense has a chance to be good and the offense is going to get clicking earlier. So I'm not looking for one and four. I think I think the Colts, we haven't even seen them in camp, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think they start 2-0 and with road games against tech, uh, the Texans and the Jaguars. And 2-0 and gives you a much easier road to the playoffs than one and four does. That's a heck of a long answer. That's a long answer. But it was a good question, so I don't apologize for that. Uh, Bruce, how you doing? I will, uh, I'll hit the button and there you go. Make sure and unmute yourself. How you doing, Bruce? Yep. Um, so kind of to elaborate on what you were just saying, I really felt like just the play styles of Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz were just so different. Like Matt Ryan's play style, I think would fit our personnel and even our coaching better than kind of the wildness that was Carson Wentz. Oh, yeah. I don't think that there's any doubt. I mean, you know, we were kind of talking about it today and uh, with some of the media guys. And, and you know, we generally talk to these guys every week, game plan and stuff like that. And, and the game plan wasn't always adhered to. And that was the thing. Remember in Hard Knocks when Quentin Nelson came up to Frank Reich? Yes and said, hey, can you run a straight run? Can you just call a run? I think that was because of Carson. I lost you there, Ken.
what are you going to do? I have no idea how much of the last two or three minutes you heard, but I was talking about how much I am kind of excited about the prospects of this team, this Colts team, finding a way to win its first AFC South championship since 2014. Can it be that long? I, the Jaguars had one year of being good. The Texans were kind of good and then they weren't. And, and you know, so what have you been dealing with? Right? The Titans? Yeah, the Titans and the Texans. But uh, the Colts have got to be able to do better than that, right? Uh, I would uh, assume you agree. Or why would you be here on Colts calling? All right. How you doing this afternoon? I cannot see your name. Uh, there it is, Matt. How you doing, Matt? Uh, I'm doing good. I, I, I really appreciate your uh, YouTube uh, videos. I I started off watching your videos and uh, uh, they're really um, informative. But um, one, one situation that I'd like to bring up is that we had a year of Wentz and it's like we're having the Philadelphia Project or something. Now we have Nick Foles' backup. Is Nick Foles going to bring the same result as Philadelphia? Well, here's the thing is what we hope is that Nick Foles never sees the field and that he just holds the clipboard for Matt Ryan or the, you know, Microsoft Surface or, or whatever serves as a, a clipboard today. You know, hopefully he doesn't play at all and Matt Ryan gets it going and, and we just see Matt Ryan as the quarterback for 17 games, right? Yeah, yeah, but what is he are going to be our be our uh, luck? You know, is he going to be our uh, the reason why we win because we have Nick Foles' back? Our good luck. Well, I yeah, I if if Nick Foles has to play, I don't know That's whether you feel great luck. about it. You know, that, but that here's a, here's the that thing about be- Foles is when when he's been with Philadelphia or Kansas City. His teams have done pretty well. You know, they, they've got a winning record overall. When he was with the Rams at the time, a terrible team, uh, or with the Bears at the time, not a very good team, you know, he didn't have a winning record. So he, I don't think that he's the guy who's going to get you over the hump. He's not that guy who's going to win you games because of his genius. But I don't think that he's going to be a guy who's going to lose you games because of his inadequate play, if that makes sense. Yeah, one other thing, uh, I, I would like to know what you thought, you know, you know, that Michael Young Jr., you know, he started off at Notre Dame before he went to Cincinnati, and he seemed like he uh, may be a good uh, um, second, or I mean, third, fourth string wide receiver. I just want to hear more about him. Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't notice him until today. And then we were watching uh, a couple of the passing drills. And I was like, hey, who's 84? And uh, looked on the roster, Michael Young. And then another play came, and I was like, wow, that's Michael Young again. And then there was a third play that he made, and I liked him a lot. And, and it, that's kind of the way I do this stuff. I know, look, I'm not an evaluator. I, I'm not a scout. I don't go out and, and look at these guys do workouts at Cincinnati or whatever and and think I know something. Um, But if I notice a guy and I I think enough to look at the roster and see who it is by the number that I see, that's a good sign for me that a guy is doing the right things and has got a shot to make the team. And, And that's who Michael Young today was. 
Yeah, so thank you for your uh, answering my questions. That's great. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it, Matt. Um, let's talk to Paul. How you doing, Paul? I'm good, Kent. Uh, kind of on the um, what uh, Matt was was saying. Have you have you seen any players that maybe we're not hearing about that have jumped out at you? Has you know how how's Dennis Patman looking? How are maybe some of those second tier guys who we honestly didn't know what we have in them? Is there anybody jumping out um, on on either side of the ball that that um, you know you oh. think might surprise? I'll give you two, and one's ridiculous, all right? And I know one's ridiculous, but one of them is not ridiculous, and that's Nick Cross, who the okay. Colts traded up for to get at 96. Sure. Yeah. I like it. I like the enthusiasm with which he works. I like his speed, and, and I like his, his kind of willingness to stick his nose in there a little bit. He was one of those guys. He wears number 20. And and so yeah, okay. I know it was twenty, but he's they and this is no contact guys aren't even in pads, but he's out there playing a little bit and competing a little bit, and I like that. And then on the offensive side of the ball, this is a ridiculous one. It, it, you like to come out and you you think, okay, an undrafted free agent who's a dark horse here, who who might just find a way to make the team, and there is no darker horse than Ethan Fernea. Ethan is a kid from UCLA. He was a three-year walk-on at UCLA and then got his scholarship and was sort of a special teams guy, a receiver guy, uh, a running back a little bit. He had 12 carries as a running back, eight catches as a receiver, and then nine tackles as a special teams guy. But every time you look up, you see number seven doing something good out here. And so I kind of like him, and, and so he's sort of my pet dark horse guy that I kind of keep an eye on. He is huh? he is, but a deep, deep dark horse. I mean, okay. if he made the practice squad, that would be awesome. As well, far you know, as Patman, Patman looked okay. Patman okay. Looked, he looked like Patman. Okay. Yeah, well, I like uh, – it sounds like the, uh, the guy you were talking about has persevered through – uh, I mean, three-year walk-on at UCLA, and, and um, you know, he's just sounds like he's a, a passionate type of player, and that that can go a long way. For sure. It could. He reminds me a little bit, if you know Indiana football at all, in Indianapolis high school football, there was a kid from uh, uh, high school here that went to Indiana's walk-on. His name is Mitchell Page. And, and Mitchell was kind of a smallish guy that just did anything he could to get on the field, got invited to uh, a Chargers camp back in the day. And, and that's sort of who he went to Garen Catholic here for high school football, won a state championship, went to IU and actually got on the field and became a, a fairly valuable receiver. And, and so that's kind of who Fernea sort of reminds me of. But great question. Thanks very much. I appreciate it, Paul. All right. Thank you, Ken. That's Paul. Thanks to everybody for joining. Had a bunch of great calls and a lot of fun. We're out here at Colts Camp, the Indiana Farm Bureau Football Center. I can never remember it uh, unless I'm looking at the sign. And I'm looking at the sign as players keep kind of uh, driving out of here as minicamp has ended. Again, minicamp I thought was terrific this year. And, and gave us sort of a window into what can be expected at, at this level. 
knowing that Matt Ryan can hit somebody like I, I talked to Brian Evans about shooting once the uh, great shooter from Indiana, who was the first round draft pick of the Orlando magic. And, and he said that he played uh, with a guy who is a good enough shooter that he would try to hit one of the little hooks that holds the net. That's what he was shooting at. You know, they say aim small, miss small. Mark Price was an aim small, miss small, miss really small guy. Coming out here and watching Matt Ryan these last three days, aim small, miss small. He's hitting guys, not just their hands. I think he's hitting fingers. Like he, he is really doing a great job uh, of putting the ball where it needs to be. And uh, let's take one more call just for the hell of it. Uh, Jake, how you doing? Um, make sure and unmute yourself. Uh, what's your comment? What's your question? Uh, just a quick question. Uh, I was just curious as to how Paris Campbell's been looking. He looks healthy, looks yeah. fast, looks explosive, looks dynamic. He only did work with the ones. Uh, Pittman and, and Campbell were the two guys who were with the ones exclusively. The other guys kind of bopped around to the ones and the twos. Um, but he looked really good. Uh, although uh, I was talking to a, a media guy here today, and there was a little bit of contact on a route that he ran and then a catch that he made. And every time you see contact between him and a defensive guy, or yesterday he went to the ground to make a catch, kind of dove, you, you sort of wince and you sort of cover your eyes and hope that he gets up. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. this there's this kind of feeling of doom every time he touches the ball and falls to the ground. So, you know, that hasn't changed, but he looks really good, looks healthy, and he says he's really healthy. That's awesome. I love to hear that. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Thank and you. Again, you have a great day. Thank you. Oh, my, my pleasure. Weather's beautiful, so uh, what could go wrong? Um, you know what? Have a great week. We do this once a week. Maybe we'll do it more often. We'll do it as news breaks and have some fun and, uh, and talk plenty as players and coaches keep driving past and, and sort of waving. And I'm not sure whether that's like a sarcastic wave or a real wave, but you know what? We take everything as a compliment here, and I appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow morning, breakfast with Kent every single afternoon, every weekday afternoon, Inside Indiana Sports Now. The Matt Ryan media availability is up on YouTube. Frank Reich will be up in a little bit. And uh, then tomorrow, we get back at it again. We never rest. We just don't do it. We'll talk to you next week here and every morning on uh, the YouTube channel.